Well, this morning I'm going to look at uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 10 and moving on through verse 20. Um, uh, I am really being challenged myself as I read this stuff. Uh, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying the study for me personally, and I hope that I'm able to share enough of it that encourages you as well. So we're looking at Luke chapter 9 and beginning at verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him, that's Jesus, of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And the day began to decline, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, and find lodging, and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them recline to eat, sit in, in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had, le had left over were picked up 12 baskets full. And it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ or the Messiah of God. Father, I pray this word is going to bless our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I love both of these stories. And generally, I would only pick one of the stories and preach about that but I'm going to try to look at an overview of both stories in the time allotted to me. We'll see how far I get, okay? <laughs> I, I've loved preaching in the past about both of these. And usually the second part, I usually preach out of Matthew's gospel. Um, uh, 
Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is what Peter said. And, and Jesus answered and said to him, uh, You have said it, and upon this rock, this, upon this confession, he said, Your name is going to be a little pebble, but upon this huge rock, like the rock of Gibraltar, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I've preached about that a lot. But, but it's interesting that as I've come to looking at what's happening in Luke, I see that there are a series of important transitions taking place in the life of Jesus and his work with his disciples. Now let's take step back just for a minute with me and take a look at the big picture. The big picture is that God has a desire and a plan. And he's got a method and a means and a way to accomplish that. And it's basically found in John 3.16, which we all know. For God so loved the world. Now that term world doesn't just include the physical world that we know it at this time. But it includes the world through all generations from the beginning to the consummation of the age. He loves everybody that's in the world. I love that little song, red and yellow, black and white. He has a desire to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How do you get to the world? And this is the principle upon which Jesus built his ministry. It's not just by having a big group of people out there. It comes from reproducing the life that I have in the life of these 12 men. I am going to pour out my life into them and they are going to reproduce that life in others and it will multiply through generation and generation and be sent out to cover the world that this is the plan and the position of God that at the end of time in Revelation chapter 7 and 5 where it says from every tribe and every tongue and every nation they're going to stand worshiping before the Lord. No nation, no language, no culture is going to be exempt because the great day when we're all gathered before the throne of God, he will have accomplished his purpose of why he came. <laughs> I get so excited. And guess what? You're going to be there too. And you and I, we're going to witness the great accomplishment that Jesus has in conquering sin and death and the devil. We're going to see that and experience it with our own eyes. What we see by faith now, we will know for sure in that day. Isn't that exciting? What a great day that's going to be. And Jesus has the plan and he understands that what I'm going to do, I've got to come not just to preach to the thousands. I have to invest and pour my life into the 12 that I have chosen. He is all about the principle of reproduction and multiplication. 
I, I, I love that whole concept. And that's what we've based our, our, our entire ministry with the missionaries in Germany on. And, and we, we teach that regularly in our, in our candidate school. I love it. And in the process, this is what I've been looking at in this chapter. We've seen that there is a transition. You see, when, when we first went out, the disciples called by Jesus experienced something of, of a miracle. Remember Peter, James, and John and the big fish catch and the boats were about to, 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 to sink. And, and Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And when they got back to shore, they didn't even clean the fish. They just left and began to follow Jesus. There was something about this person that they saw. He was incredible. They're following him now through his life and, and, and they're observing the things that he does. And remember in the previous chapter, they're out on the, out on the sea and the storm comes up and Jesus goes, Shh, be still. What was their response? They said, who is this? Their question was, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this guy? Their question is rising up within them as they are spending time with him. Now, this is quite different to the way that I've done evangelism in my life. I, to be honest, I, I got excited. I'm sure God was with me. I, 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 I've, I've done a lot of crazy things in my life, but when I got saved, I was just so thrilled. I told everybody. I mean, it didn't make any difference where I was. I get on an elevator and I just say, you know, this is an amazing thing. Isn't this incredible? Jesus loves everybody on this elevator. <laughs> and I was off. I get on a bus. I tell everybody on the bus. It didn't make any difference where I went. I would sit down. I remember sitting down on an airplane once next to some young lady and, and I'm telling her all about Jesus. And some kid from the back, it was a small plane, so about 50 people. He comes up to the front. And he says, I, I didn't realize the whole plane was listening to me. You know, and he comes up and he says, I know what Joseph was doing with Mary in the angel loft. You don't you tell me all this stuff. I'm going, Excuse me, I'm not even talking to you. <laughs> you know, I'm talking. But it, it was so, it, it, it touched him. I remember the first time I stood outside in, in England on, on a corner and started to preach the gospel. I was so scared. And, and my knees are shaking. And it ended up that on market day, people would stop their selling stuff in their stalls to come and listen when I would start to preach on the market square. I... I I, I've traveled the world, and it doesn't make any difference where I've been. We have seen people give their lives to Jesus. I love it. But we assume that when people make that first step and say, I want Jesus in my life, and they kneel down and repent of their sins and ask Jesus to come into their lives as though that were it. And we're looking for a basic understanding. Do you believe? From the beginning, we're asking, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead? Our whole focus on the kingdom of God is that Jesus died and rose again, and you need to believe in him, and he'll be with you for the rest of your life. That's our focus. 
It's not wrong. That is correct. It's all good. But Jesus talked to the multitudes about the kingdom of God, and he hadn't died yet. Which means that the kingdom of God is much greater than just the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. If I want to know something about the kingdom of God, I need to know about the things that Jesus taught. I know that my entrance into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. He even says, I am the door. If any man wants to come to the Father, he comes through me. I mean, he's very clear that the only way we're going to get into this glorious kingdom that begins here and lasts forever is through him. The disciples have no idea about the death and the resurrection of Jesus at this moment in time. But they are listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. They are seeing the miracles. At the beginning of this chapter, we saw that there was a transition where Jesus equips them and now he has empowered them. He gave them authority and power over demons and healing the sick. And they went out and when they come back, they reported to Jesus, having gone through the villages, We've seen the first time where they're participating in the plan. It's not just that they're listening, observing, taking it in. They're not sitting in the classroom anymore. Now they're being a part. They're participating in it. They are healing the sick. They are sharing about the kingdom of God. They are talking to the people in the villages. You see the transition. And now comes an even greater transition. Before they watch Jesus calm the storm, now they're in the place where they have compassion on the multitudes. They're learning. They're picking up. Jesus had compassion. I mean, get a hold of this. They go away to have some time off to be by themselves alone. And when the crowds found out about it, they come following him and Jesus welcomes them. I mean, he doesn't turn them away. (laughs) He doesn't say, I'm too tired, come back tomorrow. He doesn't say, my calendar's full for today, I haven't got any more time for you. Now, it does say 5,000 men. (laughs) It doesn't say how many women and children are there. If husband and wife come along, I'm sure they can't pay for the nanny back home. The kids are there too. When I would go to places and preach in Africa, wherever it was, you would see that they would bring the whole family. Everybody come. The nursing mothers, you're sitting there preaching and they just stick the baby on the breast and they, you just keep on going. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the way it was. I was sitting there, you know, you, you learn to overcome your shock. You just keep on going, you know. And, and, and when they come, they bring everybody. And so it's the same kind of of thing when Jesus sees the multitude, he has compassion on them. Now the disciples are picking up on that. And they say, well, can't you send them away to find a place to spend the night at least, you know, and we can get a little bit of sleep and, you know, and and then they can get something to eat. And these are the words that Jesus speaks. I mean, this is incredible. (laughs) He says, you give him something to eat.
many times I've sat there wondering, you know, why does Jesus do that? <laughs> he turns to them, he says, now they've, they've been learning. They've been learning. I mean, whenever Jesus said, you didn't have the faith, why didn't you calm the storm? You know, remember that? He, he said, why didn't you do that? And, and they, they're sitting there saying, well, um, Jesus, we haven't got enough food. I mean, look at the size of the crowd. We've got five loaves of bread, little loaves of bread, and we have two fish, and, and not going to go a long ways. <laughs> I mean, we can go into town and, and buy some food if you want us to. Now get this. Jesus says, sit down. Have them sit down in smaller groups. I love that. He's looking at groups where people can interact together while they're eating. It's not where, I, I remember the first time I went into a, a, a Soviet nation and you'd go sit in a restaurant and they would have one meal. It didn't matter what was on the menu, there was only one meal. And you would go in, you would find out what they had. If you wanted to eat it, you would go to that restaurant. Otherwise, you'd go down the road to the next restaurant and find out what they were <laughs> serving. But there was only one meal. And you would sit down at a table where there was a free place. And the whole restaurant would be full of people. And nobody would say a single word to anybody because nobody knows who you are. Are you a spy? What's your purpose here. Nobody, I mean, absolutely dead silent. It's not like that in the Middle East. They gather around and everybody's talking. I mean, they're sharing food. They've got big plates in the middle and they're tearing off their bread and using their fingers and they stick the bread in there and get the food out and stick it in and they're talking back and forth to each other. And it's a big community event to have a meal. So you put 50 people together, there's going to be a lot of noise as people are talking with each other. You've got at least 10 to 15,000 people that you're breaking up into groups of 50, about 50, sitting down together. You've got kids, you've got the women over there, and you've got the men separated from the women over here, and they're all sitting down, and they're talking with each other, talking about the things that Jesus has said, and people are sharing that they got healed of this and that. What happened to you? What, oh, this happened to me. Everybody's talking all at once. And now Jesus takes these five loaves, and he says, Thank you, Father, that you're going to provide... He breaks it, gives it to the disciples, and I can see the disciples coming out and saying, well, I've got a little bit here. Would you like to have a little morsel? And they break off as little a morsel as they can to give it to you. They're going around to everybody in the group and breaking up, and then they're suddenly realizing they can break off a bit bigger piece, and it's still there. It's still there. They're going, how much you want? You know, here, how much do you want? I mean, look at this. Guys, look at this. Look, it's happening. The miracle is happening in their hands. The participation now has come to a new level. They've not only seen that they can pray for the sick or they can talk about the kingdom of God that they've heard from Jesus, but in their hands they are feeding all of these people, the 5,000 men and all the others that are there. The miracle is in their hands. At the end, they pick up 12 basket, baskets full of food. 
That's more than enough for a basket apiece. <laughs> After all of their hard work. Imagine being involved in that moment where all this is happening. You know what? I, I've, I've, I've thought about the miracle in your hands. I've even preached that before. That you know, the miracle is in your hands. The miracle is in your hands. God didn't look at what he didn't have. Jesus didn't look at what was not available to them. He didn't look at the lack of resources. He looked at what they had. And taking what they had, he put his faith to it, and it became more than enough. What do the disciples remember? Do you know that when Luke records this, he doesn't record how the bread and the fish were multiplied, does he? He doesn't say how it happened. What he records is Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They will remember for the rest of their lives that Jesus commissioned them to give the multitudes something to eat. And the greatest need that the multitudes have, beyond just having their physical need for food to be satisfied, is a need for the spiritual food that lasts for eternity. And the task of how that is multiplied is entrusted into your hands. I could get excited and start preaching about that. That is exciting to me to think, to think that Jesus says, you, 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 you give them something to eat. <laughs> I, I wonder if the same thing's going through your mind that goes through my mind or through the disciples' minds. They're sitting there, how in the world can I do that? I'm not a preacher. I, I mean, how can I give my neighbors something to eat? How can I do? How can I do this? You take what is already available to you, you give thanks for it, and you let God multiply it through your hands. <laughs> Are you with me? Do I need Do I need to back up and go over that again? <laughs> it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with what we're capable of or not capable of. It has everything to do with our faith when we hear Jesus saying, you give them something to eat. The people are there and they're hungry and they don't know it, but what they really need is the kingdom of God. And the only way it's going to happen is if it's multiplied through your hand. Your words and your compassion. Wow. Now, this has, been, this has been such a tremendous event and a change from just observing Jesus, sitting, to compare it with today, instead of just sitting in a church and listening to somebody preach about the gospel, 
which is good, there comes a time when there is a transition out of the pew seat to being involved in the world where we bring the kingdom of God to bear. And the task is not exclusive for just a few. (laughs) It's for all who've heard the call of Jesus. Now, that leads us to the second part, and this is kind of hilarious to me, because in verse 18 it says, and there... And it came about that while he was praying alone, did you see that? While they were praying alone, the disciples were with him. (laughs) See, Jesus opens up even his intimate discussions that he has with his father to his disciples. He's not holding anything back. They get to see everything because they need to understand. That's why the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, because when you pray, things happen. When you pray, there are results. When you pray, something is, is going on. I don't know what's going on, but when you pray, you're in touch with your father. You know what your father is saying. This is, a, this is the next level after the disciples have gone from observance to being given authority and power to participating. Now Jesus comes to them. It seems to me he's got this backward. You see, when I went out to preach, I would stand on the street corner or on a bus or wherever I was, and I would tell people that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins and you need to believe in him. I would tell them straight up. But you see, Jesus hasn't done that for the whole period of his ministry with his disciples. He has not done that. Tell you something, this was a big relief to me. (laughs) And I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's turning 82 this year. He's sitting out on the porch, and he says, you know, I I prayed that... He he was a pilot with UPS in Louisville, and and we stopped overnight to visit them on our way back from from Nashville. And and, uh, he said, you know, I prayed for opportunities to witness to everybody on my staff and over the years I was able to do that to everybody except one lady and I'm just so grateful to God he said you know but in all the years I've only ever seen one person make a commitment to Jesus I have no idea what happened to the rest and I said you know you don't need to beat yourself up over that this isn't a a numbers game that we're playing The call for us is to be a witness. The results of our witness are up to Jesus. And I take a look at this, and I'm beginning to understand something about that. You see, Jesus hasn't revealed who he is to anybody yet. And it doesn't seem to be a big deal to him. He's not concerned. Isn't that strange? All the people being healed, all the people being fed, 
all the people experiencing miracles, all the people free from demons, all of the teaching that has gone on about God's kingdom and who God is, and he turns around after praying. Now we know that when he prays, something's going to happen. And when he finishes praying, instead of getting up to go heal some blind people, he turns to his disciples with a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Isn't it interesting that they turn around and they say, well, some think you're John the Baptist, who was, by the way, only six months young. Uh, he was only six months younger than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had only been beheaded just a while back. So how he came back from the dead and is living, that doesn't make sense. That's crazy. They say, well, maybe you're Elijah. But to say that he's Elijah... Elijah was a great prophet, but um, they don't believe in reincarnation. That's nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. Or they say, you are one of the prophets of old. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even get Moses in there or Abraham. They, they, I mean, they, they couldn't actually go back to the whole stories of the Old Testament that all of the Old Testament points to the one who is going to be the Messiah, the Christ of God. Now Jesus doesn't, doesn't want to sit here and waste time. He says, I know that's what they say. They haven't got this thing figured out. They don't know what's going on. He just turns to me and says, who do you say that I am? The question is critical. The question is critical. But it's taken him all this time. I don't know whether it's a year, a year and a half that they've been walking with Jesus. Maybe it's even two years at this point. I don't know. But they've been with him day by day by day by day. And now he asks them. Isn't that something? See, I, I thought preaching meant, or witnessing meant, I have to tell people up front who Jesus is, and then. But suddenly I, I'm released from that because I don't know what God's doing in the lives of individual people, but I can tell them about the kingdom of God. I can tell them what God's done in my life. I can tell them what's going on inside of me. And the end result is that there will come a day when Jesus is going to reveal himself to them. And that is something I can't do. I can't make Jesus reveal himself to anybody. I can pray for it. I can ask him to do it. I can ask him to touch all of my neighbors round about. I can ask Jesus for anything that I want, but I cannot force him to do a single thing in the time frame that I want to have it done. I can have the faith that he will do it. I can be confident that in the day it will happen. I can, I can stand up and speak boldly in faith about it because I've heard from Jesus that this is what he's going to do. But when it's going to happen, that's up to him. And he has a plan that is far better than any plan that I have. And when, Paul, when Peter turns around and says, you are the Messiah, 
in those words he has just said, you are the one that all of the scriptures have been talking about. You are the one, you are the one that is above all others. There's no prophet that can even match you. You're the matchless one. You are far, far greater than anything that this world has because in you dwells all the secrets of heaven and earth and through you was not anything made that was made. It all happened because of you. And I'm standing here looking into your eyes and I'm saying that the power and the authority and the presence of Almighty God indwells you. And when I look at you, I see the Father in heaven. When I see you, I see the one who created all this around about us. You're the one that spoke to Elijah. You're the one that raised up John the Baptist. You are the one who, who called this nation into being when you asked Abraham to move. You are the, the deliverer greater than Moses. There is no one like you. You are the Messiah. There is no other title that anybody can have that is greater than the one that is you right now. And I'm looking right at you. Now I understand when Jesus says you're blessed because flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you. That only happens because my Father in heaven has shown you who I am. Later on, just before the Last Supper, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long that you don't know who I am? The Father is in me and I am in the Father. We are one. You see, the focus upon who Jesus is is not something that doesn't come without a foundation that had to happen over this period of time as Jesus gave them confidence in who he was in terms of his generosity, his graciousness, his compassion, his love, his, his prayer life, his involvement in people, his willingness to overcome and to set people free. And he does that. He does that freely and openly. But the revelation of who he is comes from the Father of above. The critical aspect is that the Father only shows himself to his children. Otherwise, we're going to see the judgment of a powerful God. But if we're going to see the Father, you've got to be his child. Now, I I look at this and I'm thinking it took a while till they got to the place where the revelation was clear to them. See, there's a growth level in faith. It doesn't happen all at once. Our lives are not in some kind of a machine that's forming and producing and, and it's got to go through certain stages, but, but it happens in relationship with Jesus, as we grow in our relationship, and every one of us is different. 
but the revelation of who Jesus is can come to each one of us that causes the inside of our lives to explode with a dynamic of love and passion and, and understanding that goes beyond what human understanding is. And we sit there in absolute amazement and say, Jesus, you've called me. You love me. You really do care about me. My family. You care about my neighbors. You care about the situation we live in. And look who it is who cares. It's the Messiah. The promised one who has come and still is here with us right now. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you see, we, we go through simple little things and miracles that it's in my hands, it's in my hands, look at this, it's in my hands. <laughs> but you told me to give them something to eat and there's more to life than bread alone. But the command to give them something to eat is still there. And when we do that, the revelation of Jesus comes. They see Jesus in you and in me. Isn't that amazing? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you from the depths of our hearts that what the disciples experienced, that's for all of us. It's for us all. And we give you praise and glory for that. Thank you that we can receive from your hands the faith that is necessary to take the little that we have and pray and see it multiplied in our hands as we give away into the lives of our neighbors, our friends, and our family. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.